0: Hi, everyone, and happy almost Halloween! Before we start the episode, Rowan and I just wanted to let you know that we will be taking a short two week break after this episode to focus on making some more awesome content for you all. So, with that said, remember to stay spooky, we'll see you in November, and enjoy this week's episode.
1: I had to not say this until we started recording because this is podcast gold. But Trace, your hair looks so good. Oh,
0: you're the best. Thank you. I got it totally. Well, I tried to go full Bride of Frankenstein with like the white stripe. Right, and right. And my hair said no thank you to that. Your hair is quite dark. It's It's actually my natural hair color. She matched... My roots that came in. No, no. In and- I
1: mean, babe, your natural hair color is kind <laughs> of dark.
0: Yes. It, it, but I always thought of it as this like chestnut brown, like not super dark. But it, it's been so long since I've had my natural color. So I've got some blonde, a little bit of pale blonde underneath. And then wrong, my natural hair color. I haven't seen this color in like 10 years.
1: It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It suits you so well.
0: Oh, you're the best. Thank you. I mean,
1: listen, I'm going to hype you up no matter what your hair color is, if I'm being honest. But I also want to pay a special hype to this gorgeous natural brown because, you know, we didn't even know she was still in there. And she came out like full gorgeous. I'm going to make you shine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: She she came out and she said, it's autumn and I'm here for the party.
1: Mm. (laughs) Autumnal. Your hair is autumnal.
0: It is. It went from pumpkin, like pumpkin spice autumnal to kind of that cozy sweater autumnal, you know.
1: Tracy, you cannot just put pumpkin spice in front of words
0: constantly. Yes, I can. And I will. And I will continue to do it. I said Rowan told me a pumpkin spice lie right before we started recording. And I think she's still hung up on that.
1: (laughs) And what is a pumpkin spice lie, Tracy? (laughs) You said it's a sweet
0: lie for the forces of good.
1: Right, right. It's like, um, you know, when someone's like, "Ooh, did you get me a this for Christmas? And you're like, no, I didn't. But, you know, you yeah. did. Yeah, it's it's a, a good lie.
0: <laughs> it came out of um when I was researching for the jack-o'-lantern episode. I kept telling Casey fake jack-o'-lantern facts. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and she kept believing me. She I told her what I was doing and she still kept believing me. So um, she, she kept calling them pumpkin spice lies. <laughs>
1: As someone who is also incredibly gullible, I am Team Casey on this one.
0: It was just very funny because I basically was um, talking to her while researching and I was like, oh, I want to be done researching. I just want to do the episode. And she's like, oh, I'll just make up facts. And so I started sending her random <laughs> fake facts, clearly based on the, <laughs> that conversation. And every time she's like, whoa, that's so
1: interesting. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> We do have to say Casey is truly the best. I've I've heard the first episode of You Two as a Duo, and y'all, I just want to be a listener now. You guys, you guys are great.
0: <laughs> That's how I felt when you you two did your episode last year. She's a goof. She loves a good joke. She loves her good hot pumpkin rating scale.
1: <laughs> the hot pumpkins. Is it I, is it hot pumpkins or is it just pumpkins and we're making them hot? It's just
0: pumpkins. She we she was rating them, you know, controversially, you know, zero to five out. You know, she as you can tell, people who have, who are listening now and Rowan and who has listened to this episode, Casey and I did not agree on the <laughs> ratings. <laughs> so I was calling them hot pumpkins, um, just in my life because I think it's really funny to describe things on a scale of zero to five hot pumpkins.
1: Right, like a hot Cheeto or something. Yeah. No, I get it. I I just really like that I went away for like a second and you and Casey went, you know what? We have a new pumpkin spice language, baby. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Casey and I have a
0: joke and we mentioned this on the podcast and Rowan knows it. Casey and I have this joke that started when she and I traveled to PodCon, the podcast convention, a couple years ago Mm -hmm. that we were going to get kicked out of Seattle Mm -hmm. where the the con was. And it's just been a joke ever since that we're just so chaotic together that we're going to get kicked out. So she and I decided that we were going to get kicked out of my own podcast. And that was going to be the result of her coming on (laughs) to the show. Casey
1: really does have this energy. Okay, Casey feels like a lemon drop candy to me. You know those really yummy hard candies that only Mm -hmm. amazing candy shops or really cool grandmas have? That Like they make your mouth water because they are tangy and sweet and they feel like sunshine. Oh, that's such a good description. That is so Casey, right? Yeah. We'll add that and then
0: she's just a little thief. She just, she loves a good rogue moment. But not in the way that you do. You're a rogue and like all black assassin kind of sneaky robe. She's, She's a rogue in the classic black and white striped shirt
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, criminal. Yeah, yeah, ironically
0: She Cat unironically will do that high step sneak walk. <laughs> <laughs> and she loves to just see what she can take out from under your nose before you notice.
1: <laughs> okay, so I have to tell you a story. Okay. And I guess I'm really, Casey, hi, I, I'm applying to also be sneaky with you with this story. So, um, editor Tyler got a lamp that I wanted for years and he I told him about it and he bought the lamp and I was like are you kidding what how dare you (laughs) and I said to him you know I want your lamp and he said well you know if if you can take it you can have it ha 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 oh no (laughs) and I went oh thank you sir challenge accepted yes you do not throw down
0: the gauntlet to you
1: no, 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 i I'm a monster, so I took a very ugly desk lamp I've had since college mm-hmm. and I snuck that into his house and snuck his lamp out, and he Used my lamp for weeks before realizing. (gasps) I knew this story. I thought it was days. I did not know it was weeks. Weeks. I am the master. Casey, please let me sneak with you. Oh, the
0: two of you would be unstoppable together. We cannot let this happen.
1: I just I feel like we'd live a beautiful pumpkin spice life. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. I had to do it. Anyway, hi, I am Rowan Hall. And I'm Tracy Harrison. And this is Willing and Fable, the Pumpkin Spice podcast that brings you <laughs> Pumpkin Spice original retellings in in-depth... <laughs> Keep going. Come on, finish it. <laughs> pumpkin Spice research on the Pumpkin Spice history, the Pumpkin Spice mystery, and the Pumpkin Spice mythology that makes the world so fascinating.
0: She did it, folks. She made it through. <laughs> <laughs> And if you would like to support our pumpkin spice pod, <laughs> a super fast and free thing you can do is download the episodes that you listen to on your app of choice. I know it sounds kind of crazy and really simple, but it is a super valuable metric for our baby little podcast.
1: And you can also support Willing and Fable by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash fable. And don't forget to check out our new merch at willingandfable.com. Tracy and I are especially obsessed with the we get it your goth spirit board designed for halloween i am turning into like an emo teenager in a series where i only wear the same sweatshirt over and over and over in every oh, and <laughs> i
0: actually did have someone compliment the sweatshirt while i was out in public
1: Nah. No. yeah
0: <laughs> it was a quick passing thing though so i couldn't stop and tell them
1: oh were they were they also goth in in vibe, at the time.
0: I mean, in, in as much as I was in a black sweatshirt, uh-huh,
1: but uh-huh. they had
0: really cool, funky dyed hair, so I got their Ooh. energy. You know.
1: Ooh, very valuable compliment. That. Mm-hmm. It was. It was. Very, it was very rewarding. Wait, 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 Tracy, You have to do your liminal space thing, or we can't continue to pod.
0: Or, you can support <laughs> our podcast by telling a ghost story around a flickering campfire. And frightening the local children for years to come. (laughs) But no matter what you do, we appreciate you.
1: Yes, amazing. That was so good. (laughs) As you can tell (laughs) from all of the pumpkin spicing, this is the official, official Halloween episode. Yes, it is. Halloween is mere days away. You could probably measure it in hours if you wanted to. You could
0: absolutely measure it in hours.
1: Maybe, okay. Can't you do that can you do that thing where you make countdowns on your phone now? Oh yeah. Can,
0: I mean, you can you can make countdowns so that everywhere you look in your home, it's a countdown to Halloween if you want. You can get real spicy with it.
1: All right, Technology Fairy, I'm gonna leave that to you. <laughs> this is our official official, official Halloween podcast episode. We've been doing it for a minute because mm-hmm. it's the best holiday of the year, but this it's is the season. last mm-hmm. one before. The spookiest of all days that is
0: why rowan and i have waited <laughs> <laughs> and we wanted to save this episode for right before halloween to give you those classic ghost stories to get you in the mood for the best holiday uh, for the best holiday i was gonna be like the best holiday of the autumnal season best no holiday. best
1: one and And, you know, I feel like everyone is in on the goof that we are spooky, but I don't think that everyone really knows how into ghosts you and I have always been. I don't really, I don't think we've (laughs) really disclosed. I feel like we've hinted at it. We've talked about our
0: time, you know, playing in graveyards, using Ouija boards, but I think the amount that ghosts were a part of our childhood. I'm only just now as an adult realizing how unusual it is. I mean, we had access to multiple Ouija boards and read ghost books and stories yeah, mm-hmm. all
1: the time. And I had that really good local graveyard. You did. You did. I I think I realized how m- frequently we ghosted uh, when someone accused me of being cursed for having Ouija boarded a lot like oh yeah like I acquired just topsoil layer after topsoil layer of curses (laughs) (laughs) and I don't think that's true um I
0: don't know you've got that you've got that ghost in your apartment
1: well you know I'm I'm oh my gosh I'm leaving this apartment and I haven't said goodbye well, we oh, haven't the left yet. There's
0: time. There's time to say goodbye. What am I going
1: to do? Oh, no. Oh, right. Um, I, Gosh, Tracy, you can't just drop useful information I should have already known on me like that.
0: <laughs> I will do it forever and I will never stop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in the meantime, while well, I think of how I'm going to tell my sweet apartment ghost that I love it and or invite him to come with me to my new mm-hmm. apartment. I'm starting this episode off. Quick word of warning. This episode will include many tales of death, including people who have died by suicide. So listener discretion is, as always, advised. hmm Tracy, when I tell you two of our listeners gave me a gift. Okay, so this topic is brought to you by Coleman, and then a listener, Jason N., kind of upvoted it. Okay. Today, I am covering the history of the ghost light in theaters and the superstitions around the practice.
0: I'm so excited about this. I'm so excited about this topic. I I honestly don't know a lot about it other than, you know, the stories we grew up with. So I'm really excited.
1: Yeah. And again, everyone really needs to know before I go any further, Tracy and I are capital T theater kids. Oh,
0: the classic... Wearing the scarves in the middle of summer and those weird hats and singing all the time, going to diners in costumes after shows kind of theater kids.
1: Fully. Oh, fully. And I have not 100% grown out of that because I made some of that my profession. Um, (laughs) I love it. We... Yeah, I f- The pipeline from theater kid to cosplayer is also just...
0: Pretty direct. I, yeah, absolutely. I I got very heavily into cosplay pretty much immediately in college when I stopped doing theater. I mean, I was in, what, four different theaters at one point in college, like mm-hmm. three different choirs. So that just translated directly into fandom once I got to college.
1: So before I go into anything... Spooky, I actually want you to help me tell the story of when we had to do Blithe Spirit in high school because this is one of the most amazing Tracy things that happened in our youth.
0: This was just a very a classic you and me thing. So, from my memory of this story, um we were in drama club together. And I didn't have the time or the – like I for some reason didn't want to be in the show. I, I didn't even audition for the show. I was in charge of costumes. So I was doing all the costumes for the show, um, helping assistant direct or something like that. So I was really <laughs> heavily involved with the show, but I was not in it. That is until the day before.
1: <laughs> yes, so – Bly the Spirit, for anyone who's not familiar, is a story, uh, it basically centers around a couple, um, and the husband's first wife is coming back as a ghost and haunting them. hmm And it's Noel Coward. And it is class. It's just that classic. There's a, It's just dense dialogue. I play Ruth, the second wife, who's alive, much to my great chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the girl who's supposed to play madame Arcati, who's the spiritualist eccentric character yep. who basically controls the entire show yeah <laughs> in yeah. the second bit <laughs> i don't know what happened but for some reason she can't do it anymore
0: she yeah the day before she wasn't at the final dress rehearsal she couldn't make it so i stepped in and you know took a, took over the role for the day just to wrap up final rehearsals and then the next day she couldn't be there and so the director asked <laughs> me to jump in and take on the role.
1: So, so everyone, I did. <laughs> everyone in the cast was so stressed, and I was like, "Nah, this is fine." It was. I remember I memorized
0: the entire first act in one day. That is the one thing I remember. I I memorized the whole first act, and then it's we insanity. had to make an announcement before the show that the original actor couldn't make it. So that was why. I had a spell book with a script <laughs> in it <laughs> for the whole second act. Um I had it in the first act but I knew the lines, but I just remember there was no time to practice blocking. No nope. practice anything <laughs> like my I honestly the shirt that I wore was just this green Floral shirt I had worn that day, but it matched really? so well with the vibe of the character that I put it into the costume.
1: <laughs> I don't even remember your costume. I only remember you and I making fierce eye contact. Yes,
0: because Rowan, I had to do so many scenes with Rowan, and she was the one person that she and I, I remember the, like, just we could look at each other and we would do like cross stage blocking. <laughs> made made monologues and we would circle like we just were able to i it was just so cool to be able to it it felt like improv but we could read each other so well that it it worked (laughs) out really well that was the most wild experience (laughs) and it was the like honestly the least pressure because everyone knew that i was doing the most insane thing so it was
1: just really fun I wish I could remember it more clearly. There was this moment where we got stuck in this loop. We couldn't get to the (gasps) next point.
0: Okay. (laughs) I remember this. Oh, my God. I forgot. Okay. So I had two lines I had to say, and one was a a trigger line for a character to come out and do this big reveal. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. Right. And I had... Okay. So I thought I memorized the whole first act. I'd flipped those lines. So they were insignificant. It didn't matter if they were flipped. But the... The actor playing the character coming out doing the big reveal was chatting backstage and not listening. Like they were half listening for that line. But I couldn't say it because I had swapped them. And so I did improv for like two straight minutes, <laughs> playing with like the it was I was doing a spell so to play with the ingredients and be like something is off with them. And you were like, Yes, it's why don't you double check? You should look around. And you're like trying to signal the person backstage to come on. But we're both the only two people on stage. <laughs> Eventually, they caught on, and they come, came running out and doing the big reveal. It's so high school
1: theater. Oh my god, that's one <laughs> of my favorite high school moments of us. And I just wanted to include it in this episode because truly, Tracy was a legend in that moment. Oh my god,
0: no, that was that was fun, and and you were you were so fun to do that scene with and that whole show with. Um, you miss, <laughs> I do miss doing all the theater and the acting. It was very fun.
1: I miss. Doing theater things for a goof. Like, just
0: no pressure. It's goof. It's not your job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And, you know, everyone is an adult and has lives, and that's very hard. But I am such a sucker for a play reading. Like, come Mm. into my living room. Everyone draws a part out of a hat. We, like, have a pile of costumes for for laughs and just like make it happen i am that person
0: (laughs) that is the most theater kid thing i've ever heard you say i
1: know i know so (laughs) i'm covering the ghost light first we're going to talk about the theater Mm. i went to a conservatory school for college uh so i was taught by one of my professors that theater with an er is the place It's what Oxford Languages calls, quote, a building or outdoor area in which plays and other dramatic performances are given. And the theater, with the R-E, like the theater, Mm -hmm. is what the same dictionary calls the activity or profession of acting in, producing, directing, or writing plays, or a play or any other activity or presentation considered in terms of its dramatic quality. Mm. And if you are... A pretentious theater person, you will be very specific about which spelling you are using. Um, I worked very hard on that. Only Tracy can see it. Thank you.
0: <laughs> it's basically a noun versus a verb. Yes. Okay. <laughs> E-R Either is noun. Way. R-E is verb. Got it. Doesn't
1: matter. Either way. Performance in its myriad of forms has existed in society around the world for ages. However, theater as the art form it is today on Broadway, the West End, and many of the world's famous stages is considered to have been developed in the 6th century BC in Athens, Greece. The stages of Athens hosted singing and dancing, poetry, weddings, law courts, and political assemblies. There was comedy, tragedy, and the uniquely Greek combination of the two known as satyr Plays. Now, other historians will argue that China and India had theatrical performances long before Greece. The fact that it is difficult to create an accurate timeline from various parts of the globe that deep in the past, combined with the widespread study of ancient Greece, and the huge popularity of this narrative of theater's birth, basically means that the Greek origin is what's filling up all the literature everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. many of the words that we use within theater come from greek also so for example a thespian or an actor comes from the ancient greek poet thespis he's frequently called the inventor of tragedy and is often credited as the first person or the director of the first person to ever appear on stage as a character rather than as themselves
0: oh, okay i didn't know that that's a fun fact
1: I, You know, all these facts are cute and fun and they're great things to quiz history students on. But it, are you really going to sit there and go, yes, this one guy is definitively the one guy to ever play a part?
0: Yeah, because history all happened very neatly and in order and is tied up with a nice little bow, obviously.
1: Yeah. So, you know, in true willing and fable fashion, we're going to say there is no knowable beginning or knowable first person. Additionally, historians disagree about theater being born of religious ritual. Okay. And I'm I was shocked to even see that on the table, actually. So the annual festival that honored Dionysus was one of the key factors in the rise of the art form's popularity in Greece. We know that rituals can be dramatic. Mm-hmm. And we know that theater can discuss religion hmm So, to my layman knowledge, the idea that theater just blanket did not come from ritual, not not sitting right with me No, either. I
0: don't vibe with that. That doesn't –
1: that just doesn't feel
0: human, you know? Like, the way that we think of things and perform things and do things and interact, it feels like it at least in part would come from something like that.
1: Yeah, you and I talk about this all the time, just – When you're living in it, you don't feel the definitive beginning or end. You don't have that textbook perfect answer. And it's especially given the way that so many people feel about theater and the way so many people like to make religious practices more dramatic. Mm -hmm. It's just ridiculous to assume that they're not in some ways related. And unsurprisingly, there's also a lot of debate around the actual origin of the use of a ghost light. So a ghost light, or a ghost lamp, is traditionally a single caged bulb on a standing pole that is put in the middle of the stage to illuminate the theater between shows or after everyone's left for the evening. Today, many modern setups will have a special dedicated light built into the rig in the ceiling, but that doesn't really have the same vibe. No, because it's got, you know, no fire. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, safety procedures and all that. I get it. But that flickering light. Come on. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. So it it has evolved then to just the I like the naked bulb in the middle. Mm, that's, that's a good
0: one, too. Very industrial.
1: That's kind of the tradition. When we say ghost light, that is what you are meant to think of. Naked bulb on a pole. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always look like that. But that is the the visual of the ghost light. And because theaters have no windows to maintain the integrity of the performance's lighting design, when everyone leaves, the spaces are pitch black. And this means that our singular bulb can be especially eerie or especially comforting, depending on how Mm -hmm. you look at it. Mm -hmm. Now, many theaters have orchestra pits right beneath the edge of the stage, which makes an already dangerous tumble particularly menacing, so some shows require set pieces to remain on stage, and of course, there's so much gear right. involved in the theater. So much, yes. And while backstage areas are dim during shows, having a light on at night really actually does make it safer so no mm-hmm. one walks off the edge of the stage. So another name for the ghost light is an equity light, and that's referencing the possibility that the labor union, Actors' Equity, may have once required this as a safety practice.
0: Okay. More practical, less exciting as a title.
1: Right. So now we're going to get into the fun stuff. Okay. There are a few popular origin stories for the ghost light that I'm familiar with. Though, <laughs> I mean, as is the nature with theater, probably there are tall fish, tails, tall mm-hmm. fish, tails? Big fish. Tall (laughs) fishtails all over the world. Okay. Tracy, when we're done, I want you to just pick yours.
0: Okay. Okay. Okay.
1: So number one, the most practical explanation that I've always heard comes from the time before electricity when theaters were lit by gas lamps. As this story goes, if all the lights were turned off, gas would build up in the lines, causing them to blow up. And at some point, they figured out that leaving one dim lamp burning was enough to prevent explosions. Think of those lights that you see at the edge of some stages that point Mm -hmm. toward Mm -hmm. the actors. That said, during this time of gaslighting, many theaters struggled with fires. So having an unattended fire all night long, perhaps not the wisest of choices. The next theory involves a heist. In keeping with the cat burglar theme. Okay, okay. (laughs) One night, a burglar steals into the theater, pun so intended, and he's wandering (laughs) about in the dark doing his nefarious thievery. He falls from the stage into the orchestra pit, breaking his leg, another Ah. pun so totally intended. (laughs) (laughs) He later sued the theater for not having adequate lighting at night while he was robbing. And he won.
0: So today,
1: the tradition carries all over the world so that everyone can avoid litigation. Do we have a date? No. Do we have a name? Absolutely not. No. Why would we? That's not important. Number three. This explanation is well-suited to those who believe scary things can only happen in the dark. Mm -hmm. This version of the origin of the practice has... The ghost light, keeping ghosts from causing mischief and messing with the set while everyone is away. It's kind of like in everything the light touches is our kingdom Mm -hmm. deal. Yep, got it, got it. But the coin flip of that, and perhaps my favorite version, definitely my favorite, I think, Mm -hmm. is that the ghost light is meant to allow ghosts an opportunity to perform. Now, (laughs) it is said, I love this saying so much. That no actors retire, they only die. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah. So the ghost light gives these haunts the chance to play their favorite role or continue with their greatest show or try out a part that they've always wanted. And Charles McCormick, the technical director for audio at Bass Hall in Fort Worth, says, quote, What I was taught when I first started in theater was that the ghost light was left on overnight so that the ghosts of deceased actors would have a lit stage area to use. That way, they wouldn't disturb the real performances. In my personal experience with ghost lights, the crew is just as dedicated to its existence in the Mm -hmm. theater practice as Mm -hmm. the actors, so I also like to imagine long-dead stage managers and costumers and... The team all doing their theater thing. Yeah,
0: obviously this is the best explanation. I love that so much. And I think it's wonderful.
1: One last one. It is considered bad luck for a theater to go dark. And I've always thought that this comes from the fact that nothing shuts down a show and consequently the lights quite like running out of money. Mm -hmm. So... The ghost light in this case, I think, is like a knock wood designed to keep that going dark from happening. And during COVID, actually, many of the closed theaters kept their ghost lights running as a symbol of hope for the near future, that we don't have a chance to return to the stage and the audience. I love
0: that. Yeah, there's so much superstition with theater that is it's really fun and it makes it such a community when you have those little rituals together. I,
1: I love a good ritual. Mm-hmm. And I think the ghost light really does have a vibe. When you're in a dark, I, dark theaters are magic.
0: They are. They're so, I find them peaceful more than yes. I do spooky.
1: What is, is eerie the word for something that is spooky but not in a scary way? Liminal. It's liminal. It's out of space and time. It's like this mm-hmm.
0: non-existent reality.
1: So what is your choice of ghost light reason?
0: Well, I really love the giving them a chance to perform. But if I had to choose a different one than yours, (laughs) I would unsurprisingly go on the opposite side of that coin of it's meant to keep the ghosts away. That's kind of what I always had thought of it as, as the light meant to kind of either keep the ghosts company, not for performances, but just as a comfort for them or keep them away.
1: I feel like there's a combo of that, and I I think McCormick said it kind of in his quote, but the idea that you're putting up the light to give them an opportunity to kind of get out their yayas so that they mm-hmm. don't mess things up during the show. It's like, I'm keeping you away by giving you a treat. Yes. <laughs> so as a sort of a variety show, I thought it would be kind of fun to go through a couple of haunted theater stories because... <sighs> It's Halloween and what's I love this so much. (laughs) Yeah. I thought you'd like this, like a little campfire story history bit. Yeah. So we're gonna start on Broadway at the New Amsterdam. And this is considered to be one of Broadway's most haunted theaters. They don't actually use the single bulb ghost light in the evening. The theater is currently owned and operated by Disney Theatrical Group, and Dana Amendola, who is Disney's theatrical VP of operations, says of the New Amsterdam, quote, We have a ghost, but we don't have a ghost light on the stage. Because we are a different classification of building, we have to do more than just a ghost light. We have to pretty much leave the lights on. So they have plenty of light to stay OSHA compliant. So they have... A different way to appease their in house ghost. Mm-hmm. Okay. First, meet former Zigfield showgirl Olive Thomas. Trace, do you want to describe her? This is my favorite, favorite photograph of Olive Thomas. And I, 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 <laughs> I, okay. I just want all to right. give her a little hug. She, okay, okay, all right. What
0: I'm looking at is a sepia toned. Picture. I don't know the date of it, but based on her appearance, I'm gonna guess. Based on her, well, the hair is hard to tell. I don't know if that's a good indicator. Probably the like 1910s.
1: You are right on track. Great.
0: Oh, yes, I was like the eyebrows are not quite 20s. Um, <laughs> I'm so proud so- of you. <laughs> <laughs> she has these big, wide, downturned eyes that are looking to the left of the picture with a very petite mouth and petite nose, but a a rounded face. So she has this really innocent look and this big coiffed hair that is just very theater energy. Um, She looks classic 1910s. Beautiful, young, ingenue.
1: I love this one because it's autographed, so you can see her really delicate, pretty handwriting kind of Mm -hmm. tucked right at the bottom, right? So... Olive Thomas is the much-venerated house ghost of the New Amsterdam Theater. And this space is one of the oldest surviving Broadway theaters. It was home to the Ziegfeld Follies from 1913 to 1927. Olive was a chorus girl in the show, so stunning, that she won the Most Beautiful Girl in New York City contest early in her career. And then she had her big break, and she began working in silent pictures. And I know most beautiful girl is, you know, probably there's a lot of misogyny going on in there, but I do love that for her. I feel like that probably meant so so much to her. It probably meant a lot to her.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, And she's a very lovely young woman in this photo. I want good
1: things for her. Yeah. Eventually, she married Jack Pickford, brother to famed Mary Pickford, and their relationship was a tumultuous one. They were young and beautiful and stars so they took their struggles to the city of love Mm -hmm, paris mm -hmm. and they were hoping to repair their crumbling relationship there but on this trip olive found out that jack had cheated on her and contracted syphilis likely giving her the disease as well she swallowed an entire bottle of her husband's mercury bicarbonate either on purpose or by accident no one knows this was the treatment for syphilis at the time, and it was toxic, especially yeah. in that large of an amount, and she died two days later. Oh, wow. But her ghost carries on at the New Amsterdam Theater. She's often cited in the beaded green dress from her Follies Act. She's often found carrying some sort of bottle, and she famously blows kisses. Oh, that's so charming. So her photo is hung over every entrance and exit, and most cast and crew members blow the picture a kiss goodnight when they leave as a means of keeping her friendly. That's
0: actually a really charming ghost story for a theater.
1: Yeah, I really, I like that as far as ghost stories go. Next, we have the Hu Guan and Hui Guan Opera House in Beijing, China. And this has a really interesting haunted history i'm excited chinese opera is so different
0: than european opera but when you can appreciate what it is is so beautiful and
1: amazing this space is one of a complex of traditionally styled bright red buildings so Mm -hmm. tracy do you want to describe this image for me i tried to pull one that i thought that you would get the most excited about
0: yeah This theater looks beautiful. So if you think of of classic Chinese architecture, it has a lot of those elements. It is a very classically Chinese designed building instead of something that's more modern. Lots of red. um, The stage is in the center with seats all around um, on two different levels. Extremely intricate designs are lining every inch of this place. And there are some lanterns hanging from the ceiling I want to go here. It looks so beautiful. It's just, I can't, I cannot overemphasize how intricately designed this whole thing looks.
1: You know, seeing it for the first time, it's just such a a beautiful riot of color and shapes that, you know, my eye was kind of moving over this photograph like a painting. And I think very often people expect theaters to be either more plain or very gilded and gold and kind mm-hmm. of in the the French or European style and it's really exciting to imagine a show being put on in this space because I feel like the artwork extends the theatricality out even further if that makes sense absolutely so as the story goes with this opera house during World War II a very wealthy philanthropist built low-income housing near the theater. But to do that, they say he had to level an ancient burial site. Mm. Now, during his lifetime, the philanthropist hired a janitor to attend the area, and there is a very cruel rumor about this man that has continued to this day. Now, supposedly, the janitor suffered from leprosy. And so locals said that his appearance scared the ghosts away.
0: Oh, gross. Okay.
1: Yeah. No, we hate Maybe it. Not him,
0: the, that idea.
1: Oh, no, no, no. We love that man. We hate this rumor. hmm Once he passed, however, the ghosts came in. What would the ghosts be scared of? I know. I
0: know. Anyway, okay. All right. The ghosts came in.
1: Currently, the building is an active opera house and a museum that hosts shows and exhibits for the public. And visitors can hear the voices of those whose grave now lays under the foundation of the building. And it is said, if you throw a stone in the courtyard, a spectral voice will yell and scold you for your bad behavior.
0: It's just me hiding in the bushes.
1: (laughs) Stop doing that. This is a historic site. That's not nice. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. This really bright, beautiful, gorgeous opera space has a ghost story because it is a reminder that ghosts are not limited to just like dark, dank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That space could not be more vibrant. And right. to my eyes, in the photograph, it looks lively. Mm hmm. And so I I really, I like that story, except for the fact that I didn't like that story, if that makes sense.
0: Yes, absolutely. You like the concept, the execution. Eh, I could use a little work.
1: Right, right. We should go there, though, um, and I will throw the stone.
0: (laughs) Okay, good, because I don't like getting yelled at.
1: (laughs) I know. (laughs) Next, we're going to New Zealand to the St. James Theater. And this was built in 1913, originally as a venue to show silent films that later expanded to host live performances. Another World War II story, there was a boys' choir that came to sing at the St. James. After delivering a moving performance, they boarded a ship to leave the country, and it was never seen or heard from again. To this day, stagehands have reported hearing the spectral song of the Lost Boys. And I love that story because it's got a theater. It's got spooky kids. It's got mystery singing and a ship.
0: Yeah, that checks all the boxes for you, huh?
1: 10 out of 10. And it's not rude. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Another tale. Once at the St. James, a Russian acrobat named Yuri fell to their death during a performance, horrifying the crowd. And some stories tell Yuri as a woman and others as a man. Okay. And some, even more sinister versions, say... That they were pushed by a fellow performer named Pasha. Today, their ghost is known to turn the lights on and off at particularly inopportune moments.
0: It's just cruel.
1: That's cruel. Oh, that's so mean. Mm-hmm. If we go with the ghost theory th- where ghosts are imprints of traumatic events, like it's just mm-hmm. kind of the moment occurring over and over rather than necessarily the person, I suppose. Right. There is something very compelling about just this imprint in time of someone falling during an acrobatic show on a stage.
0: Yeah, that does have a a really interesting kind of echo feeling, like a Yeah. I, I don't have words for it, but yeah, that that sensation, that feeling of that moment living and, and constantly reoccurring
1: does you know it sparks your interest it's can't you just imagine sitting in the audience of that theater you're watching one show and then all of a sudden you're like briefly transported (sighs) into this other moment
0: oh how cool would that be for like a a short film concept right oh that's so cool that's ours no one can take that that's ours
1: (laughs) (laughs) i love that so uh, i love that story and again this theater just delivered on the ghost stories okay so when are we going to new zealand Add it to the world tour, baby. Okay, great. <laughs> I think this might be my absolute favorite, and this is The Wailing Woman of the St. James. She is the ghost of an actress who was booed off stage in the middle of a show, and she was mm-hmm. so devastated by embarrassment that she ended her life. And to this day, she haunts the theater and works very, very hard to sabotage other actresses. She has been known to cause falls, sprains, and what one person called performance-ending head colds. She cannot stand to see the other women succeed. And when she's not up to her jealous antics, some people have heard her cries echo through the halls.
0: I know I should hate this story, but I find it so interesting. I like this
1: one. Okay, so I think the mistake that a lot of people make when participating in feminism frankly is that like all women are good and Mm -hmm. truthfully they're not and women like this exist and it's so important and fascinating to talk about this yeah and while i am team ghost i'm not team ghost gives you head cold
0: so yeah yeah i don't love that as someone who gets migraines i don't need a ghost giving me more problems
1: i just am not necessarily buying that element of it so i really like this idea that The theater is kind of, A, has an outlet to blame mishaps because sometimes that's just so important. And also having that woman be cruel in an intangible way that can have imaginary elements is a really great way of working out the actual conflict that happens in theater.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that she's a really good scapegoat to build a bond between the women in the cast.
1: Right. Uh, yeah, I, I think that story is just, it's just really, it's excellent for theater specifically. Mm-hmm. And in researching haunted theaters, the number of women who died by suicide in these stories is, I want to say shocking, but it's not because right. it's, it's such a great way to start the story off with a bang sarcasm because it's so impactful. Emotionally, it is so impactful and it immediately makes the woman in that story more vulnerable.
0: hmm And tragic, but in a beautiful way.
1: Right, right. And while I really don't like the frequency that that happens, it's just constant. That mm-hmm. story in particular, I think is a, it's a really well done one. Yeah. If that makes sense. Now, Tracy, this one is for you. Okay. I could not do haunted theaters without talking about the Palais Garnier in Paris, France. While it is not strictly ghostly, this is the site that inspired the Phantom of the Opera.
0: Oh, 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 I was going to say a lot of these stories reminded me of the Phantom of the Opera with all the little tricks and little spooky things that happened. I'm so excited.
1: This is the location of Gaston Leroux's famous book and later the incredibly famous musical. This opera house holds a myriad of eerie stories, but once the phantom of the opera kind of entered the picture, it sort of swallowed them all up. Mm -hmm. It was built by Charles Garnier and opened in 1875. And it's a beautiful Parisian landmark that was a part of Emperor Napoleon III's mission to reconstruct Paris. The commission was actually created because of another theatrical tragedy. In 1858, the emperor and his wife were visiting the opera at Rue Le Pelletier, and as they were exiting their carriage, there was an explosion. Oh. It was an assassination attempt. Though the couple survived, eight of their attendants perished, and many more were wounded. World in Paris says of this, quote, After the failed assassination attempt on Napoleon III, the building of a new opera house was declared in the public's interest and for the safety of the head of state. The new opera house was designed to have a private entrance and a special box where the emperor would sit. Okay. No, no, no. You don't understand. We need this opera house. Yeah, obviously. It's for
0: safety. It's national security.
1: Now. Back to The Phantom of the Opera. If you know the show, even even in passing, you probably know the famous moment where the chandelier falls and drama abounds. Mm-hmm. And there's always that one woman screaming really, really loud. Always, yeah. I think it might actually be Christine, like the lead woman of the show.
0: I don't know. I think even when – because we did Phantom of the Opera my senior year of high school. I'm pretty sure we even had that. Someone whose job was to scream into the mic really loudly.
1: I was in the crew that year. That uh, that was an interesting show. <laughs> <laughs> the famous falling chandelier in the story is actually based on a true event. There are two versions of that true event, however. <laughs> of course. The first took place in 1896. The chandelier fell and tragically killed a construction worker. But in another telling, set one year later one of the counterweights that was balancing the 7-ton chandelier oh fell. my god and that killed one of the audience I'm members i'm shocked it only
0: killed one audience member
1: yeah i i don't know what the counterweights would look like but something falling from above and squashing me is one of the ways i would least like to die hmm seems like it'd be pretty quick if it's I quick don't know. Maybe it's my rock climbing brain. I just Mm. don't want things falling on me.
0: (laughs) I don't think anyone wants that.
1: Another true to the book moment. In the book, LaRue describes workmen below the opera house preparing the cellar to bury phonographic records of the opera's music. And in that moment, they found a hidden corpse. Mm. World in Paris writes of this detail, quote, This is a historical fact. In 1907, the gramophone company sealed 48 gramophone records of the greatest singers of the time in two containers and locked them in the opera house's cellars to be opened 100 years later. In 2007, the containers were opened and the records digitized by EMI Classics under the name of Les Ornais de l'Opera. But there is no record of finding a corpse. Oh,
0: okay. So the burying part was correct. The corpse was not.
1: Which is a great way to do a story, because if the public knows they buried the records, then you can go, well, ooh, what if there is Mm -hmm. a corpse? LaRue asserted the Phantom's truth until his death. So many will say that a man named Eric, who had physical deformities, did in fact live beneath the opera house. But there's never been any evidence to prove that. However... Many guests and workers in the space have reported sightings of a ghostly woman from the 19th century. Also having died by suicide, to this day she wanders the streets just outside the theater looking for the lover who left her. I really want that ghost woman to just be doing her thing like she's she's a ghost and she's just wandering people watching every day
0: yeah that's what i want for her i don't want her wandering looking for her lover it's not as much fun
1: no and it's sad mm-hmm. why do the women always have to look for their lover why isn't the lover looking for them am i right because it's tragic
0: <laughs> and beautiful Ugh.
1: so this isn't spooky but i had to look it up you know the fancy underground lake in the Phantom mm-hmm. of the Opera. The one in the movie goes really hard. It does.
0: It does. But yes, absolutely. Even even in the stage performances, they always have that.
1: Yeah, there's like a gondolier moment. Yep, it's, yep. That's real. What? But it's not fancy. It's not fancy. Okay. Okay. The opera took an incredibly long time to build, especially because the soil in the area was very wet and concrete foundations just wouldn't set. And at first, Gagné instructed workers to pump out the water, but it didn't work. So he designed an underground cistern beneath the structure that eliminates the water. And apparently also somehow balances the weight of the building. There's a story of them trying to empty it and the building started shaking. Yikes. Okay. Today, the water in the cavern is available to firefighters and is apparently home to more than a few schools of carp. I say haunted carp.
0: The spookiest carp in
1: existence. The spookiest, scariest, fishy carp ever. (laughs) (laughs) So those are my little campfire stories for you.
0: They were so fun. I love like those little vignettes of ghost stories. Amazing.
1: I like ghost stories because it allows us to explore some things that are not as savory about being a human, Mm -hmm. both from the point of view of who's writing it and why and also this ghost. And Mm -hmm. I am somehow so able to live in this double think space of the fiction of ghosts and the absolute reality of ghosts.
0: I I am, too. I'm firmly with you there.
1: I think it's because, well, as a person, you know, you have your own reality and then the fiction that anyone makes about you at any given moment. -hmm. So, you know, our wailing woman could just be in New Zealand, a ghost, super clumsy, and she's just causing these falls for these ladies. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Could you imagine? (laughs) It's so funny. So, I have a story. Okay. Actors never retire, they merely begin performing in a new venue with a new audience under very different circumstances. You'll venture out, when you can, one eerie fall evening. It will be the night the wind's picked up and the leaves are blowing, when the world feels like a mystery unfolding in crisp, cool music. You'll walk down the alleys instinctively, the side streets, the ones that are quiet and decorated with the evidence of families and neighbors. As you go, your ears will strain... You'll listen as closely as you are able for the far-off sound of music. Eventually, you'll arrive at the theater. You don't live very far, after all, and no one can resist its siren song on a moonlit night. This is no matinee, darling. This show is a midnight reverie a vaudevillian variety of the bygone greats reprising the roles of a lifetime into their death. Enjoy that music and the chatter, but walk softly as you come to the entrance of the theatre. Lesbians are a mercurial type. Some won't be pleased to see you with your warm cheeks and thrumming pulse, but others will know that you are a lover of stagecraft and very welcome wherever the players perform. After all, we people of the stage are the collectors of the outcast, the underappreciated. The theater. Even the audience is not for the faint of heart. You've waded your way by this point through a throng of ghosts. You're no whimpering ninny. So... You go up to the gentleman at Will Call. He's a friend of mine. He'll let you in. And he'll give you a very good seat if you compliment his mustache. Take note of everyone's evening finery. Toss about a kind word or two when you're able. Actors love adoration. Crew members desire respect. Sprinkle it like stardust. These people are dead. They deserve it. You will have taken your seat in plenty of time, so you're all hunkered in that small velvet throne with a diaphanous couple on one side and perhaps a loud elderly woman with opera glasses on the other. I trust you did pay a kind word to Jacob about his mustache, so you're seated in the first row mezzanine. Perhaps... Center, maybe house right, he likes to see newcomers in that area. By the way, be careful not to hog the armrests. It's difficult for a shade to bandy elbows with you when all they can create is a bit of a cold spot, so try to give them the space they're due. Oh, it's no matter. You're likely too transfixed to notice what you're doing with your limbs anyway. I imagine your eyes are a bit wide. After all, you've never been in the theatre after hours. I would know if you had. I know everyone. It's dark. There's hundreds of swirling smoke people rustling in the blackness. There's you, heart in your throat. And upon the stage is one single small light. A naked bulb on a stand at the centre. It makes the massive theater look like a galaxy. The moment when the world was born of fire and brightness and every possibility there's ever been is but an imagination away. Seeing it, you feel like a child, reaching into the depths of a newly discovered toy chest, confident that your hands will close on the perfect amusement to fill you with pretending. Sitting there among the unbreathing crowd, breath held yourself. You know that if you only walked upon the stage, your lines would come to you just as you opened your mouth and the rich red curtains and the flying scenery and the bustling cast and the whispering crew would envelop you in a story as old as the night and as new as illumination. I know that's how you feel. Because that's how I feel every night when I take the stage. Which I do, right on schedule. I walk like winding moonlight to the center of the stage, clad in my gown of radiant beads and cheap sequins. The hours of stitching and mending have melted away, and I am what every spotlight promised me I could be. A star. (laughs) I take the naked bulb, our ghost light in my hands, and I sing. I croon into that glowing lamp as I've done with one thousand microphones. It is both sight and sound, amplifying and brightening my every note, my every subtle gesture, so even those haunts in the back of the house feel that I am singing only for them. Lit from beneath, as in my vain life I feared to be, I am flattered by this garish glare into brilliance. I assume you'll weep, and if you don't you should, There is a language only the deceased can speak. To your understanding, it sounds the same as every word you've ever spoken, but there is a deeper truth. You'll feel it in the weight of time you cannot yet understand and a freedom with which you cannot yet become familiar. There is no sleeping or waking for us, no job or commute or taxes or ailment, only endless nights of... Reflecting, reflecting, reflecting the drama of the world like a mirror. Somewhat broken, I think, but sharp and true. On this night, you will understand theater for the first time in all your years of patronage. I'll sing a last note to applause that sounds like thunder to us, but is only the creaking of chairs to those who cannot hear. I'll pass our magic light to the next specter. There will be dancing girls, clowns, acrobats, entire Shakespearean tragedies and comedies through the ages. We do not need to rest, and you will forget that you do. Through it all, the ghost light burns in a peculiar illumination unlike anything you've ever seen, (laughs) even in the most experimental of plays. But it narrows your focus keenly, and the players move in and out of its bright sphere like fluttering moths. You get one night of our millennia. To see behind the curtain that so few realize is ever even there at all. We grant you a look through the proscenium of your life as a thank you, perhaps. Life is hard. I see it in you from my place just off stage, and remember it in myself. You watch the show, and I can see your shoulders fall inch by momentous inch. I see you melt into crying and stiffen into laughter until you are but a small thing, all eyes and gasps. <laughs> what a great gift you are, audience member, witness. Listener, observer, perceiver, consumer, beholder. One hundred stories and infinite truths summoned as entertainment by one bulb of light. What a world for our play. A standing ovation, of course. Encores and bows and laughter, roses thrown to the actors and the orchestra, the crowd filing out chatting and smiling and ruminating together the shared elation of our ghostly patrons will carry you home as easily as you came through the cool autumn night you'll wonder all the while about a chorus stuck in your head or a line you cannot unravel you may even dance a few steps on those old cobblestones as you go though you've never done such a thing in your entire life. Perhaps, tomorrow morning, you'll find that ticket stub in your pocket, or on your nightstand. Perhaps you'll believe you only imagined our show. I wonder, will you even recall our evening's play? Well, what you do when you leave the theater is not my concern, but... It was a pleasure to have you here. And, as everyone's a critic, I ask, please do give us a good review. Oh, I
0: loved that monologue. It had such a um, surreal vibe. It was giving me, and this is a book I haven't read in years, Night Circus vibes.
1: Oh my god, that is very high praise. I love (laughs) Night Circus.
0: It's such a good book.
1: Well, it's cuz Night Circus has those intermittent chapters where mm-hmm. they kind of tell it tells you where you're going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I uh I saw a tweet where someone said uh second what is is second person?
0: Shit. Yeah, second person is the you.
1: <laughs> yeah, that it's gaslighting. <clears throat> you know, like <laughs> you walk down the street. No, I didn't.
0: <laughs> I just saw a really funny tweet that was uh it just said uh gatekeep girl boss and then they said (laughs) and what was the last one and someone said there is no last one you're just being crazy what are you talking about
1: (laughs) that's good
0: that was really good
1: so the image of a ghost using a ghost light as a microphone is something that's been in my head forever and ever i
0: loved that there were the beautiful beads and like the cheap sequin concept and and just every part of that was so beautiful
1: I am really stuck on, when I think of theater ghosts, this idea of re- repeating realities. Ghosts that get stuck mm-hmm. in a loop because it's reflecting their life back over and over. And theater is, you know, you hold the mirror up to nature. It's, theater is just a reflection of the world. And right. I think that that would make ghosts particularly perfect for the medium. How do I get there? I want to go to the haunted show. I want that for you, too. (laughs) Would you go? Would you go if I was like, hey, Trace, I have two tickets to the ghost light show where everyone's dead except us?
0: Yeah, I'd try that at least once. I would. (laughs) 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 Okay, so that's ghost lights. That was amazing. I learned so much. I loved that. And I'm going to take us into a very different realm.
1: Yeah, I feel like you have kind of intense history this week and i got to goof around in the theater so i'm, I'm...
0: this this is a, i think you're gonna really like this story i ended up really loving it so i'm telling the story of me Uh and to start out i watched a ton of videos on pronunciation and i promise to do my best with all the names but i do apologize in advance for my painfully american accent and mispronunciations this story takes place in thailand i don't know the thai language
1: I'm, I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: listener discretion for infant death in this story. All right. We are going to talk about Meenak Prakanong, or Lady Nak, who is a famous Thai ghost originating from the mid-19th century. Her story is one of love, loss, and lingering beyond the veil of death. She was suggested by one of our Mythic patrons in a poll that we sent out for Spooky Season, and I am so grateful.
1: Ah, the Mythic patrons came through. They did the Spooky Season. I think
0: at least half of the stories I've talked about have been from our Mythic patrons. Yes,
1: I was really excited when you told me you were doing a heavy hitter on jack-o'-lanterns after that yes. poll. That was really cool. That was so fun. Quick backtrack, though. Sometimes you write sentences, and I just want to scream, you are so talented. What? <laughs> you just went in on that sentence. <laughs> Her story is one of love, loss, and lingering beyond the veil of death. Ah, yes, it's it's spooky season. We can just bask in language.
0: Yes, I love you. I love doing this podcast <laughs> with you. You're such a language nerd like me. I had to get an extra L in there. It was love, loss, and...
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, oh, Willing and Fable is sponsored by, by the Thesaurus Dictionary because yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. constantly looking for the letters.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Rowan, we're going to start out this week with the story, and then we'll dive into the history and cultural impacts of this ghostly figure. But I'm going to tell you her ghost story 1st Mm-hmm. May Nock was able to do what so many of us only dream of. She found her one true love, the person she wanted to spend the rest of her life with, and she married that person. tid felt similarly. He knew that his wife was the best thing in his entire world, and he made sure that she felt it every single day. The couple was overjoyed when they realized that their small family of two would be expanding to a family of three. For a short time, they lived in perfect bliss. But happiness cannot last forever. Tidmach was conscripted and sent to fight in a war. He left his pregnant wife behind, promising her that he would return for her and their unborn child. The two parted ways with the promise that they would see each other again one day soon. Mayanak waited for her husband each day, but he did not return before she felt herself go into labor. Her labor was agonizing. Pain ripped through her body, and she cried and begged and fought for herself and for her child, but even she was not strong enough to push through. She felt her life slipping away from her, and so she channeled that energy instead on pushing through the veil and staying here on earth. As her final breath left her body, she knew deep in her soul that she would not be leaving her husband behind. So she stayed. She stayed in the house that they shared, and she kept on living her life, even as her body was buried behind the house, and friends and neighbors wished her well in her death. She and her child remained, and they waited for Tidmok's return. Her husband knew nothing of his wife's death. While fighting in the war, he was seriously injured and sent to Bangkok to recover. He fought through his recovery, and throughout it all, he thought of his wife and his child at home waiting for him. So when he was finally able to return home, he rushed back to their house and burst in through the door to see his wife. She stood in the center of the room with a warm smile on her face and a small baby in her arms. It was the most beautiful sight Tidmok had ever seen. He embraced his wife and child gently, but with such joy that he didn't even realize how strangely cold and slightly off her skin felt. He was just happy to see them and hold them and know that they were safe. After celebrating his return together, Tidmok told his wife that he was going to visit their friends and tell them of his return home. To his shock, she begged him not to leave her or speak to anyone else in the area, and when he asked why she would make such a request, she replied that she simply wanted him to herself for a while before sharing him with the world. Satisfied with this answer, he agreed and did not leave the house for a few days. Eventually, he did leave the house, however, and he ran into one of his neighbors. To his shock and confusion, the neighbor expressed sympathy and condolences for Tidmok's loss. Mok did not know what to make of this and informed the man that his wife and child were perfectly healthy and sitting inside their home at that very moment. As Tidmok turned around to point to the house, he saw knock on the front porch holding their child. The neighbor, shocked at seeing her there, stammered, something out, before rushing away back to his home. He did not live to see another day. Tidmok heard of his death the next day and was shocked to hear that the man had passed away so suddenly in his sleep. He told his wife how healthy the man had looked the day before, but she reminded him that his mind was not as healthy as his body, since he had clearly thought she was dead when it was obvious that she was alive and standing right in front of him. Mok agreed, and while he mourned the loss of a good man, he thought little else about his death. That is, until a friend pulled him aside one day and warned him about maynak She told him that she was present at the labor and watched his wife pass away before giving birth to their child. She explained all about the burial and told him that he was not living with a human woman, But with a ghost. Tidmark was shocked and he told his friend that this could not be true. There was no way he could be living with a ghost instead of his wife. He wasn't sure what his friend was trying to do by telling him this story, but he refused to listen to it anymore and walked away. The woman drowned in the river that night. When he heard the news of his friend's death, Tidmach felt a seed of doubt enter into his body. What she'd said couldn't possibly be true, could it? No, no, it it was too much to believe. Still, the two people who tried to tell him that his wife was dead ended up dead themselves only a day later. But no, it it was simply a coincidence. It had to be. Because the alternative was that his wife and child were really dead, and that she was killing anyone who tried to tell him the truth. And his wife would never do that. So he pushed his concerns down, kissed his wife on the cheek, ignoring the feel of her skin against his lips, and walked out onto the porch... She came out to join him a few moments later with a small bowl of limes in her arms. But as she came near him, she stumbled for just a moment, and she dropped a lime over the edge of the porch. In a hurry, she reached out to grab the lime, eager to retrieve it quickly. But as she reached out, her arm grew and grew and grew in order to reach the fruit on the ground, before snapping back into place when she realized what she'd done. Reality hit Tidmok like a ton of bricks, though he did his best to pretend he hadn't seen anything at all. He felt the color drain from his face, and he turned away from his wife. It was true. All of it was true. She was dead. His child was dead. He was living with a ghost. And she'd killed anyone who tried to tell him the truth. But he turned back to her with a smile and said he was going to go check in on the baby inside. Relief seemed to flood her face as she realized he hadn't seen what she'd done, and she smiled back at him. The smile that was once the brightest ray of sunshine in the world to him now filled Tidmok with a deep sense of unease. He fled in the middle of the night and ran as fast as he could, Away from the very woman he once fought, with his whole body and soul to come back to. When Maynock realized that her husband left, she chased after him, calling for him to return to her. But he'd hidden behind a knot bush, the leaves of which were sticky and thus repelled ghosts. When his wife refused to approach the bush, he knew without a doubt what she really was he managed to get away from her and run all the way to Wat Mahabud Temple. She chased after him and screamed and cried and begged the whole way for him to return to her, but he would not listen. Once he entered the temple, she couldn't follow him, for he had entered sacred ground and Tidmak refused to leave, and he became a monk. Betrayed and heartbroken, Maynac fell into her grief, allowing it to consume her entirely. She terrorized the people of Prakanong, blaming them for her husband's rejection of her and punishing anyone she felt she could get vengeance on. She became a walking nightmare for the people of the town as her grief poured into the very air. Eventually, a powerful exorcist was brought in, and he was capable of capturing Maynok's spirit in an earthen jar. He went to the canal and tossed the jar into the river, telling everyone to leave her in the water. The town would be safe so long as she remained where he put her. It seemed that the story of Maynok ended there. The town returned to one of peace, and the ghostly woman became a legend spoken of in passing. Until two fishermen... New to the town pulled up an earthen jar from the canal one day. Curious as to why such an object would be at the bottom of a river, they pulled it into their boat. With a hard yank, they pulled open the jar and watched in horror as the ghost of Maenak was freed upon the world once again. Maenak fled out of the jar and rushed into the night sky with a shriek. Once again... The woman who was just a legend reappeared, and began to terrorize the town once more. This time, no one was able to stop her, and no one was safe from her wrath. The village was crippled by fear, and in desperation, they reached out to the famous monk Somdet To for help to stop Maynak. He came to the town, and instead of facing the spirit directly, he asked to be taken to her burial spot. Once he dug up her body, he took the bone from the center of her forehead, and he bound it to his waistband. Some say that Somdet tos kind and peaceful spirit helped Mainak to move on and let go of her past life, while others say he simply trapped her spirit in his amulet. Regardless of which one is true, all tales say that the legendary amulet of Maenach was given to the royal family for safekeeping. Her tale, refusing to be forgotten, continues on to this day, and those who lived through her reign of terror never forgot what happened during that time. In some ways, Maenach still lives on, though in what form, I'll let you decide.
1: Listening to your story was like reacting to a horror movie, but having to do it silently.
0: Yeah. How good is that story? What? The twists and turns are exceptional. Mm, Delicious. They're amazing. So
1: good. And the ghost powers were really amazing.
0: Yes. Yeah. I'll get into that a little bit. Um, So this story takes place during the, the reign of King Rama IV, who ruled from 1851 to 1868. He is best known as being the king in the 1951 musical, The King and I. Oh, no. I know. But he embraced Western innovations and initiated the modernization of his country, both in technology and in culture, which earned him the nickname the Father of Science and Technology. Hmm. Anak Nawikamul, a Thai historian, researched the story and found an article in the Siam Prophet newspaper written by K.S.R. Kularb. Dated March 10, 1899. Kularb claimed the story of Menak was based on the life of Amdeang Nak, daughter of a Tambong Prakanong leader named Kun Si. Amdeang Nak died while she was pregnant. Her son, worried that his father might remarry and his inheritance shared with his stepmother, invented the ghost story. He dressed in women's clothing and threw rocks at passing boats to make people think, knock, the ghost had done it.
1: Oh my gosh, this, this whole story you're delivering, Tracy, I'm just shocked, Pikachu. I know, I know.
0: It's so good. I can't wait to dive into all my thoughts with you because I'm sure you'll have just as many as I will. But there's one more theory of where this story came from. And that is from the 1911 Thai style operatic drama called E Nak Prakanong. In this story, Mak is a male character who dreamt about Maynak and their time together. Maynak is also mentioned in an epic poem Kun Chang Kun Prain, where it is implied that a sorcerer steals her child for dark magic. However, the most famous story and the one that tends to be continuously shared is the same one that I told earlier. That version seems to be the one that captures the attention of people and keeps them coming back to visit Menach's shrine over and over. Can we
1: add that to the world tour? Yes, please. I want to visit her shrine so much. I love stories where someone is dead pretending not to be. Mm -hmm. To be with a loved one.
0: It's... Oh, it's so spooky, and I can't wait to talk about. Be- like, people have a shrine to Mayanak, and people visit that shrine. And she's this, this really ubiquitous character. There have been tons of movies and TV shows and all these things made out of her, but she's not good, but she's not evil. She's allowed to be this complex character, and some stories have started telling it. There's a movie that came out in, I think it was 2013, 2014. That's actually like a black comedy from her husband's point of view on the story. They're like they're just as the culture's evolving, they're twisting the story and retelling it over and over. And it it was so cool to see that change in storytelling.
1: It's so perfect because you get to have this person who believes in true love and wants to have a family and watch their desire become perverted yes. by their circumstances. It's so good. It is. Also, extendy arms on a ghost keeping your cool while that is happening.
0: Ah, <sighs> yeah. Yeah, in some versions of the story, like I, you know, obviously that was my version of the story, a lot of them he's kind of hiding and he spots it, but I like the idea of that moment where you have to be in control and you are thinking survival first and two steps ahead i kind of love that in characters so i had to include that
1: wow you tracy you really delivered mythic patrons you guys delivered this is peak ghost story this is so good the idea of
0: this story uh could also serve as an illustration of buddhist teachings namely of samsara which is the unavoidable cycle of birth aging sickness and death and the three marks of existence Anika, all things are impermanent. Dukkha, life is full of suffering. And Anada, there is no such thing as an immortal, non-changing self. In the end, nothing can triumph over truth, not even love. There is also something timeless, to me, about a story in which joy turns to sorrow and powerful emotions take over a person's soul. Which is why I think this story continues on to this day. It has so many complex elements.
1: There's been an increasing amount of discussion about this lately. And it usually kind of centers around how Disney has sort of co-opted how we, as in primarily America and the UK, tell stories Mm -hmm. where the person who is righteous and good is inherently deserving of good things. Right and before that story structure, fairy tales even didn't have that good person is granted goodness. Very often, bad things happen to them because in nature there are no rules like that. Right, and a lot of these stories illustrate nature, and the, nothing can triumph over truth, not even love. Ah, it's yes, yeah.
0: I love the story. Both characters start out so optimistic, so in love, so happy. And one goes down this path, like he goes to war and he comes back. And the horror of realizing that his wife is a ghost and like her journey of that. And then when she gets spurned by him becoming the monster of the story to allow this complexity of him to flee in fear and cowardice and go live as a monk. Like there's actually, I think, one of the most recent Versions of the movies ends with them happily ever after. It twisted the story.
1: Mm -hmm, There it is.
0: (laughs) Maybe that was the 1999 version. Maybe that was one of the older ones, but there's one version of the story that's very famous where they end up in happily ever after.
1: I say no. This desire to have love triumph over death and how that affects the people in the story reminds me of Izaname and Izanagi. yes, Yes, it
0: does. And it also kind of reminded me in the same vein of Tiamat, the idea of starting out as the hero of your story. Mm -hmm. So the idea of becoming the villain of your own story, I love that concept, the idea of you die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain. Yes. Like, oh, and then that extra twist of this story. She gets put away. The day is saved. Oh, no. Her, Her...
1: Oh, ceramic you... jar gets pulled out. I knew. You put her in a ceramic jar and then she gets put in the water. Oh, no, she's not staying in there, Mr. Man. We know that. I straight up thought, I was like, oh, it's the mummy and the mummy returns. That's what's happening here. <laughs> I love it when we have the opportunity to connect themes and stories so clearly like that. Yeah. It's I become less coherent, which is unfortunate for a podcast because I just want to scream and giggle. but. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I I was just so pleasantly taken aback by this story because it is so different than our Western ghost stories. Mm-hmm. Think about all the stories you told today of a oh, beautiful oh, yeah. woman who died by suicide and was tragic. And, and here it's a woman who is so powerful that she fought through death. And so uh, well, I'll talk about it a little bit later on. I watched a really great video um, called From Bondsway, the YouTube channel where she talks, she goes to the temple, walks through it. It's beautiful, by the way. It's really cool. Um, And she says that there's a belief in Thai culture that someone who dies in childbirth is extra powerful. Mm. And that's why she was able to present herself as a human because she was so powerful from the way that she tragically died.
1: Wow. I also so appreciate in this story the... The bush that has the stickiness on it mm-hmm. can keep ghosts away. That that was not something that is present in the stories that I told. Right. They're so different. It's
0: And the way that they are treated is really different. I can't think of a single ghost story that we revere in the same way that that Nak is treated in Thailand. You can actually go visit her shrine. And... So it is at the Wat Mahabud temple in Bangkok. And people do go visit it for a multitude of reasons. And they'll bring her gifts. Especially you'll see stalls outside of the temple selling baby clothes for you to give to her. And they treat her with respect. The video I watched, they actually went and asked her permission before filming.
1: Wow. We don't
0: do that in America. No.
1: I think that that is perhaps in some ways related to you know, in America, which is very Christian, there is this idea that to worship a god or a figure, they have to be all good. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very New Testament, modern Christian church teaching. And in many cultures, you you can worship a god and be aware of all their faults or and respect figures who are flawed deeply flawed and mm-hmm. because america worships celebrity so much we also require perfection of yes
0: yes we do absolutely
1: and i so prefer acknowledging the badness because it's real it's th- no one's all good full stop
0: no one's all good people grow and change and to recognize that i think is really important and to not put people on pedestals although you know there is a statue of maynak at this temple
1: Nice transition. But what I
0: think is cool is they have a television kept on day and night for her. And people bring her offerings, including dresses, makeup, sweets, and toys and clothes for her child.
1: The child ghost element is also very intriguing to Mm -hmm. just be in that state as a spirit forever.
0: Yeah, yeah. It It is really interesting. Not a, I didn't find a lot about her child other than it's more that she is seen as this really important mother figure.
1: Mm, thank you for touching on that. I hadn't thought of it right until you said it. But the mother figure, a mother figure that is not virginal mm-hmm. and perfect. Sorry to say it again.
0: Again, that Tiamat element that yes, you're a mother and your motherhood is part of what has turned you into what you are.
1: Yes, and I have a, a friend that recently had a child and is kind of on the other side of of giving birth. Mm-hmm. And she talked to me about how even the nurses that she was working with were trying to make everything seem all shiny and pretty and perfect. Mm-hmm. And she was like, excuse me, I just gave birth. Like I mm-hmm. brought a life into this world and it hurt and it was horrible. And I also have a baby now. Like there's... There's this whole microcosm that is not shiny little baby bassinets.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, is, it was really eye-opening when my sister gave birth, especially the second time, because she had to go to a specialist place and she could have potentially died. I mean, she had a lot of blood loss and it was really hard and really painful. And she says she would do it again. She loves her children. But there's
1: the shiny version of it and there's the reality of it. I really am so glad you tackled this story. Me too. It was
0: such a oh, such a delight to get to dive into. I'm also um, so
1: glad I went first, because you, my dear, are a hard act to follow. All right.
0: Thank you again to our mythic patron. So, talking about this shrine and the surrounding area, there are a ton of shops and stalls around, particularly for fortune tellers. According to Bondsway, the video that I watched... In Thailand, when a man is 20 years old, he must go pick a red or black card to indicate if he will be drafted as a soldier. So family members will come to the shrine of Maynac in order to ask her to ensure that their loved one does not pick the red card and become a soldier. Oof. Yeah. Yep. But the tale of Maynac has been made into nearly 30 films. The earliest one from the 1930s, and the, But the oldest one that still exists is from 1959, uh, and that is the version that stars Priya Rungurong as the female ghost. The best-known version is probably the 1999 one called Nang Nak, which I gotta say, something happened in 1999. All the best movies came out that year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there are a lot of really good films from that year.
0: <laughs> so Serenya Pak Didawan shares her thoughts on this story in the Phuket News, saying... I think the reason the cult of Menach not only prevails but grows stronger with each retelling is because her story deals with the universal theme of lovers torn apart by forces beyond their control. The fable of Menach has a special place in Thai culture and tradition because of the elements of lost love, vengeful ghosts, untimely death, and the capriciousness of fate resonates so strongly in Thailand's popular imagination. End quote. She also writes that devotees turn to Maynok because she is said to be benevolent and able to give out winning lottery numbers. Oh. I would like to get lottery numbers from her. I think that would be lovely.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I would 100% do that on our world tour.
0: Yes, that includes now going to Bangkok.
1: Oh, my God. That would just be so wonderful i just want to see it
0: me too it was cool seeing it in the video but i want to see it in person rowan i must tell you though pregnant women are advised to stay away from the shrine because may knock is not a blessing concerning pregnancy for probably pretty obvious reasons in addition there are two old takyon trees which are often associated with female spirits called nang takyon those are next to her shrine, which are considered to be very powerful. Devotees scrub the trees, believing that winning lottery numbers will be revealed by the spirit. Mei Nak is considered to have brought fortune to some people in the local community. Associate Professor Adam Nee of Singapore's Nanyang Technological University, someone who's done extensive research on Thai horror films, says... I suspect that the Noctail's ongoing popularity resides in its engaging with not only one, but multiple themes with strong cultural resonance which have been able to shift over time. Probably most prominent is the theme of the fearful and tenacious feminine, but equally important are notions of her as being willing to challenge dominant power structures, and of her as a paradigm of wifely and motherly devotion. She is all kinds of woman. That's why I love this story.
1: I'm every woman, basically. Yes. (laughs) I studied, I had a class in college that was history of horror and cinema, and we watched all subtitled films just from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. wish we had watched any one of these. Right. I feel that this story would be especially impactful in black and white film. I don't know why. This is how Mm. I'm imagining it.
0: I ran out of time before we started recording, but I do want to watch the most recent black comedy horror version yeah. of this. And I also want to watch the 1999 one.
1: Can we watch it together? Because technology?
0: That would be amazing. I would love okay.
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> so that, Rowan,
0: is the story of Nak Prakonung. Someone I really didn't know anything about until we did this. So again, thank you to our patrons for just suggesting the coolest stories for us to research.
1: Yeah, this whole episode was just patrons really coming through. hmm Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. I hope everyone has
0: delicious, delicious candy. Um, I hope you get to dress up in your favorite costume. I hope you get to watch whatever movies make you happy
1: mm-hmm. and
0: eat yummy food.
1: I hope you have multiple excuses to wear a costume. Me too. I'd you- love that for you.
0: And if you don't have one, we can we can make you dress up just to send us pictures in our Discord.
1: Oh, yeah absolutely we if we can manufacture excuses for ghosts yes. cuz reasons <laughs> so tracy tell me something good
0: my something good is pretty simple um about a month or so ago i told you how we had the lord of the rings themed dinner club yes well this past week we had our autumn themed one which was just all about harvest and autumnal vibes we all dressed i dressed up into spooky witchy clothing We all wore flower crowns. Would you say
1: it was pumpkin spice clothing for a pumpkin spice party with your pumpkin spice flower crowns?
0: Yes, I would. (laughs) Absolutely. It was so good. Everyone made all these different dishes, and it was delicious, and we just hung out and drank delicious drinks and ate delicious food and chatted in person, and it was just such a wonderful – it was so good for my soul. And I took home half of the most amazing pumpkin loaf Mm. that my friend made and ate it over the next four days
1: (laughs) i got pictures from that and truly the flower crown game was so strong
0: that was all all of the host lisa she loves a good flower crown she had them ready for all of us (gasps) that's so charming oh she she and ryan host these and they specifically have tons of wooden bowls and goblets and all this dishware to make it (laughs) feel themed they're the perfect hosts
1: that's awesome yeah so that was lovely But now it's your turn, Rowan. Tell me something good. I'm just so glad to be back in the podcasting loop. It was – everyone was very kind while I was away for a non-COVID medical thing. And Casey stepped in and was – just went above and beyond. She was amazing. And you were so gracious and kind. And I've been talking to you throughout this, like regular people. But I'm really so glad to be back podcasting because – I miss it when we're not doing it every week. Like, my internal clock knows that I should be sitting down and talking about pumpkin spice history, mystery, and mythology every week.
0: (laughs) There's something genuinely so enjoyable about doing this podcast with you. As much as it can be a lot of work, you know, all the research and prepping and, and all of that, it always makes me happier to have done it.
1: Yes. Yes. That is a good way to put it. I I, I hate to go back to this, but again, there's this idea that for something to be good, it has to be all good or all easy or all perfect and clean. And mm-hmm. even when this podcast is hard, it is still 100% like the best thing. Yes.
0: Yes. Agreed. Completely agreed.
1: So a- anyway, I, I'm very glad to be back. I also feel very grateful I, I have you and... A lot of good friends who were very kind and gracious about giving me space, like not needing me mm-hmm. or wanting me, which no, I think. Not needing.
0: We definitely wanted, but we did not well, need.
1: <laughs> Right. But not, uh, I guess, like the poking, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, very quickly we're welcoming and there, there's just such a an easy flow to friendship that I am encountering now that I am out of school and I'm paring down who I spend my time with and mm-hmm. just that ease is very it's very yummy I don't know how to <laughs> say it otherwise
0: I get it though when the people that you can just flow with there there is truly something about about having that and and, and about having that when you can really lean into the people around you when times are mm. hard and not feel guilty about it or feel like a burden. It It's just such a gift.
1: Yes, and it is very much a work in progress.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: But, oh, hey, speaking of friends and asking for things, actually, I'm going to use this as a very <laughs> smooth transition. Oh
0: yes. Look at it go.
1: <laughs> Thank you. It was a gift of transitions. Anyway, friends who are listening, as you're venturing out into the spookiest of Halloween nights, you are in your costume, you are... Out in the night when the veil is the thinnest, living your best spooky lives, we do have a humble request. If you encounter a ghost or a cryptid or a witch or find out your grandmother is secretly an axe murderer, we want to hear about it. Or wore a really
0: funny Halloween costume as a kid Mm. or your uncle uh, was a, a cryptozoologist, really any of it. Right. We want to hear about it. Mm -hmm. So please send it in to willingandfable at gmail.com, or you can go to our website, willingandfable.com, and send it in on our contact form. We have a whole form conveniently set up for your listener legend sending pleasure.
1: And, uh, yeah. Happy spooky
0: Halloween. Happy spooky Halloween, everyone. (laughs) And thank you so much for joining us. And remember, pumpkin spice stories grow (gasps) with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend.
1: (laughs) Or tell a pumpkin spice foe. And we'll see you soon. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable Podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our music was written and performed by Taylor Ashe, and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes and custom merch. Or find us at Willing on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. What a great gift you are, audience member. I can't hear you laughing, but I felt it.